Well, well I want to welcome you today to the continuation of our Overwhelmed series. I want to do a little confession time at the beginning of our message today. How many of you have ever run out of gas before? Raise your hands real high. Let's, let's be honest. This is church. And have you gone through a pretty typical thought process when you've run out of gas? It's like the same thought press every, process every single time. And the process goes like this. You fill your tank up with gas. It's full. And then it gets you know, to about halfway full and you start thinking, I should probably at some point get some gas. Then it gets to a quarter full and you start thinking to yourself, now's probably about the time to get gas. I should get some gas. And then you think, well, I know that there's this little light that comes on before I run out of gas. And that little light comes on and then you start thinking to yourself, now I have about, and you fill in the blank, how many miles you have between now and when you run out of gas. And you're laughing because you've done this before. And then you start thinking things like, okay, I know that I live this far from work and I can go back and forth to work about this number of times. I do this. I, I can push it three times to the limit back and forth between my house and the church building. And then you start thinking things like this. Dear God, if you will intervene miraculously on my behalf, I will never, ever, ever push it to the limit like this again. And then you push it to the limit. And then what happens? You run out of gas and you got to call the tow company or you have to walk and get a gas can and you have to put gas in it and walk back and forth or call a friend and wait for them to come. And you spend more time filling up with gas on an empty tank than it would have cost if you had just slowed down long enough, went to the gas station and got a little bit of gas in the car. Now, is this not a metaphor for how so many of us live our lives, especially in the Silicon Valley, that we push our lives to the limit. We push our lives to the limit with our time, with our energy, with the amount of work that we try to get done. And then we start to think, maybe I should slow down. Maybe I should rest. Maybe I should refuel the tank. No, I can push it a little bit further. I can go a little bit more. Then the warning sign starts to come on. The relationship seems like it's falling apart or the bank account is down below a certain point and we feel the stress and the pressure and we're overwhelmed and then finally we run out of gas and we realize if we had just slowed down and put a little bit of fuel in the tank, it would have solved our problem. If you're taking notes today, I want you to write this down. That, that short-term, if you could pull it up on the screen, long-term health requires short-term rest. Long-term health requires short-term rest. That's what I want to talk to you about today. If you were thinking about it like a car, that long-term performance with a car or with an airplane or with any vehicle requires short-term maintenance, our life requires short-term rest. And one of the greatest gifts that God, gifts that God wants to give to us to deal with stress is this concept called rest, more specifically called Sabbath rest. It's a gift that is built in to the rhythm of life and that is included in the scripture that God wants us to slow down long enough for one day a week, that there would be one day a week of margin built into our lives to refuel the tank, to give us what we need for the other six days of life. And we're gonna look at a very powerful passage of scripture found in the Old Testament of the Bible in Exodus chapter 20, verses eight through 11. If you have a Bible, I'd like to invite you to turn there. And, and before we go there, as you're turning there, I want to share with you some really exciting news 
here at South Bay. Uh, many of you guys know that last Sunday we kicked off our Sunday at 5.30 worship experience, and we were just challenging the people of South Bay to pray and to invite their friends, and many of you started serving for the first time. Others of you are like doubling up services to get that 5.30 service launched. And I wanted to let you know, because of your faithfulness and because of the work of God, there were close to 300 people at our first Sunday night at 5.30 experience. So we praise God for that. And what I wanted to share with you too, it was one of the best days in the history of our church. There were 1,484 people that walked through the doors of South Bay. And here's why this is important, because every single number represents a life that God is at work in. And we started this church just a few years ago, four years ago, with six of us having a dream and a vision that God would use our lives to impact people with his love and to think that now he's brought us this far and he is using this church to impact lives and he's using you to make it happen. And I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for your serving, for your praying, for your inviting your friends and for your generosity. God is using you to accomplish his vision for this church and for the Silicon Valley. Now, as we talk today about the subject of rest, we're in the Silicon Valley, which is one of the most fast-paced societies or cultures in all of the world, that we are, we are pushing life to the limits in our society and our culture. And this gift that God wants to give to us that starts in the Old Testament of the Bible is a gift that he wants to give to us in the 21st century today. Listen to what the Bible says in Exodus chapter 20. And God is speaking and he says this, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God, and on it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant. Now here's what's happening in the context of this passage in the Old Testament of the Bible. God has been working with this nation called the Israelites, and they were God's chosen people. And for hundreds and hundreds of years, the Israelites had been in Egypt, and they were under oppression of the Egyptian government. In fact, they were slaves. And all of their energy, all of their time, was spent to build bricks and buildings so that the Egyptians could build this powerful and mighty empire. And now God has brought the Israelites out through Moses' leadership and he's going to lead them into the promised land. But first, they're going to spend 40 days in the wilderness, almost going in circles, round and round and round in the wilderness. And on one occasion, God will speak to the Israelites through Moses. And he will give the Israelites the Ten Commandments. In fact, these Ten Commandments literally have become the moral code for most of humanity in most societies. But for the Israelites, they had different weight to them. The Ten Commandments really was the way that they were to live their lives. It was the way that God wanted them to be set apart. And the beginning of the Ten Commandments, the first three, or first four, are focused on their relationship with God. And the second six are focused on their relationships with one another. And the fourth one that we're looking at now is the longest of all the Ten Commandments. In fact, the fourth one, God will drill down into this subject maybe Maybe, just maybe, because we as human beings struggle with rest. Maybe because we feel like there's something about life, that there's so much work that needs to be accomplished, that we can't slow down long enough to breathe and to rest the way that God wants us to rest. So he says this. He says, the seventh day is a Sabbath day 
to the Lord your God, and on it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or your daughter nor your male or female servant nor your animals, like as if to say, hey, this is for everybody. This is for cats, this is for dogs, this is for donkeys. Not that anybody needs to tell cats not to rest, but, but this, is, like, this is for everyone. No foreigner in your land is even to work on this day. No male or female servant nor foreigner residing in your town. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Even God, when he created the universe, set aside one day to rest. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. There are two very, very powerful phrases in that last verse of Scripture. The first phrase is the phrase blessed. It is the same connotation that we see in the New Testament of the Bible when Jesus would take a few loaves of bread and a few fish and he would multiply them and feed literally thousands of people. That from the two small loaves of bread and the the few fish that they had, Jesus could take it and he could use it way beyond what had been placed in his hand. The same is the connotation with the Sabbath day, that God says there is this one day that I bless differently than the way I bless the other days, that a Sabbath day is to be holy and set apart for me. Now, that word holy can kind of seem religious if you don't have a full understanding of what God is saying, but that word holy literally just means set apart, uncommon. It's different than the rest of the days. It's like in my parents' house growing up. My parents had two places in our house that we were supposed to eat our meals. And one place where we ate our meals was a common place. It was right next to the kitchen. There were hardwood floors. There was a table that had lots of scratches on it from the kids. And three meals a day, most days of the week, we would eat as a family at that table right next to the kitchen. But there was another room in our house. It was a special room. It was called the dining room. It almost felt like a funeral home in there. And there was a couch and a couple of chairs next to the dining room in this other living room that we did not use very much. I mean, it was, it was eerie. You didn't even want to sit. It was like this pristine white couch that nobody would sit on ever. But everything else could get messy. But this one place in the house was uncommon. This was the place where we sat when grandma and grandpa came over. This is the place where we would go when really special people came to eat a meal at our house. But the rest of the days, the rest of life would be partaken, the meals would be partaken at this other table or in the rest of the house because it was common. See, God says that a Sabbath day is holy. It's to be set apart. It's to be uncommon, different than the rest of the days. Now, the people in uh, Moses' day and the Israelites got pretty religious about this. They started feeling like, hey, we need to keep some rules around the Sabbath. So they actually wrote up 1,521 rules around the Sabbath day. And it became this burden for the Israelites. So much that today, if you were to go to modern day Israel and you were to ride up and down an elevator, they say that it is breaking a Sabbath law to push an elevator button. So you have to get on an elevator, and no joke, here's what happens. Every floor on the Sabbath day, the elevator stops. So I really hope that you're not staying on the 35th floor of that hotel. Stop one floor up, two floors up. I wonder what God thinks is worse, to waste your time or to waste a little bit of energy. They made it about religion instead of about relationship. But when Jesus would come, he would reemphasize 
the relational component and even the spiritual significance of one day of rest a week. Watch what Jesus says in Mark 2, 27. It says, then Jesus said to them, talking about the religious leaders, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. That our goal in life is not to keep the Sabbath and all these rules that surround the Sabbath. The Sabbath is God's gift to you and to me to deal with the pressure and the stress of life. It is one day a week that you and I can have the tank refueled, that we can be restored spiritually, that the core of who we are can be renewed. It is God's gift to you and God's gift to me. So the Sabbath is not about where you take it. It's not even about the specific activities that you would do on a Sabbath day. I mean, I think about this. Most of my week is spent in stuff, doing stuff like meetings and emails and prepping sermons and all the kind of mental stuff that exhausts me, that by the time I get to my day off, I don't want to go and read more books or like think about, you know, deep, deep, deep theological stuff. Like I just want to wrestle with my boys. I want to go for a jog. I want to be out of the craziness of having to think about like my job and the how-tos and all of the things that roll through my mind. But maybe for some of you, your job is much more physical throughout the course of the week. And the last thing that you want to do on your day off is go and be active. You just want to chill, watch a movie, sit on the couch, read a book. See, if you work typically with your mind, you want to rest with your hands. If you work typically with your hands, it makes sense to rest more with your mind. It's not about religion. It's about being restored. It's about receiving a gift that God wants to give to us called the Sabbath day. But there are three other things that I want to share with you that as we go through them, I'd like for you to think about your life in light of this concept called the Sabbath. And I want to give you some questions just to really analyze your life and help you receive the kind of rest that God wants for you. So the first one, if you're taking notes, here's what the Sabbath is. The Sabbath is a time to remember. The Sabbath is a time to remember. I love what Exodus 20 says at the beginning. It says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall do your labor and your work, but the seventh is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. It is a day to remember God, to give an inordinate amount of attention to your creator. It's like in marriage. My wife Stacy and I, we... We talk to each other a lot throughout the course of the week. We have ongoing conversations. We text through the day. We have two small kids. We try to talk at nighttime when we're eating dinner together, but it's very difficult too with our kids being the age that they are. But there is one time a week that we give an inordinate amount of attention to one another called date night. And Thursday night, it's just the two of us. And there are no emails. There's no checking messages, no texts. If I do those things, I'll know that I'm not supposed to do those things. She'll make sure that I know that I'm not supposed to do those things. And I'm the same way with her. I don't want her checking messages or replying to tweets or Facebook. I want her focused because this one time is set apart for her and for me to give an inordinate amount of attention to one another. The Sabbath is a day to remember the goodness and the faithfulness of God. And not just the generic goodness and faithfulness of God, but God's specific work in our lives, the things that God has done for us and to us. And having one day just to remember the Lord 
can be what our soul and our heart and our mind needs to be replenished. This last Friday, Fridays are our day off or our Sabbath day as a family, and we're in a unique situation because Sunday, which is most people's weekend, I typically will preach four or five times. So to take that as a day off doesn't really make sense. So this last Friday, it was a beautiful day. And it was going to be about mid, the mid-70s all across the coast. So we said to the boys, hey, we got a surprise for you on Friday, and we're going to do something special. So that morning, we loaded up our van, we made lunch, and we headed down, headed down to Monterey in Carmel. And we said to the boys when we were leaving the house, today is a day for us to express gratitude to God for all the good things he's done in our lives. And so what we're going to do is we're just going to keep a list throughout the day. And when you think of something you're grateful for, you tell us and mommy will write it down on her phone. And so I wanted to share with you our list that we came up with. Some of these obviously are from my boys, but these are the 10 top things that we had from our family day or our Sabbath day this last week. Number one are trees. We're grateful for sharks, but not sharks that eat us. We're grateful for our car, that it works. We're grateful for mommy and daddy. I'm glad about that. We're grateful for our house. We are very grateful for our Batman wallets. We're grateful for sunshine warming our skin. We're grateful for fresh strawberries. We're grateful for South Bay Church. We're grateful that daddy has a good job. And last but certainly not least, we are grateful for Jesus. And we had this list. I had like about 15 more that we had written down as a family. And there was something, even just with small children, that expressing gratitude can replenish your soul. Even if you are not a follower of Jesus, even if you're agnostic or atheist, that sometimes if you will just remember where you've come from, it can renew your mind and renew your heart. And somehow in the midst of this, all the problems that we have, all the pressure that we feel doesn't seem quite as big. I have a good friend of mine that has come from poverty in, in uh, Vietnam. He grew up in a very poor family, and he's moved here to the United States when yeah, I believe he was in his teenage years and has done very well, started a business, doing well financially. And he said sometimes when he feels that pressure in life, it's so good for him just to remember where he's come from. And somehow in remembering, it restores him. It's like putting a little bit more fuel in the tank of our lives. See, Sabbath day is a time for us to remember. So here's my challenge for you. What if you took time one day this week that you carved out Saturday, maybe it's Sundays, whatever it is that works with your schedule, maybe you work odd hours, but that one day you kept a note card, you had a journal, and you just wrote down all the things that you were grateful for. I believe that if we would just do that one thing, it would help our hearts go to a whole new level of being refreshed by God, and even that that gratitude would spill out into every component of our life. See, the Sabbath first is a time for us to remember. But here's the second component of what a Sabbath is all about. It's a return to mission. It's a return to mission. It's a return to the why questions of life. Have you ever noticed that in the busyness of life, we stop asking some of the most important questions? Like if your life is filled with meetings and emails and appointments and on and on and on and on and on and on, that in the midst of that, Sometimes we fail to pull back and to actually ask the question, why am I having this meeting? Why am I in this relationship? For those of you who are dating and you're like, I'm so sick of this guy, maybe, maybe it's a good opportunity for you to return and say, why am I dating this guy? Or maybe asking some of the questions of, is my life 
headed in the direction that I want it to go. See, busyness causes us to only ask the how questions of life. How am I going to get it all done? How am I going to pay my bills? And it's this tyranny of the urgent that we live in. And we often end up putting all of our energy towards putting out fires. Instead of stepping back with this gift that God is wanting to give to us to ask some of the why questions in my life. Why is it important for me to spend time with my kids? Why is it important for me to be in this job? Why am I even working at this company? And thinking through life one day a week will allow us over the long haul to stay on mission. That life is like this. Have you ever noticed that you can just get a couple of directions off in life, maybe in a relationship, maybe in finances, maybe spiritually, and then you look back over months or over years and you realize that there has been this massive gap that's grown between you and God or between you and a spouse or between you and a friend. And that gap just continues to grow over and over and over again. See, life is like that. We tend to pull out of alignment. But Sabbath rest, one day a week, is a chance for us to return to mission. It's a realignment of our lives back into the direction that God wants us to live. So here's my challenge for you. I want to challenge you this week when you do a day of rest to take time to ask some of the why questions, to ask the questions of, is my life going the direction that I want it to go in? Am I accomplishing the most important purposes for why God has created me? Why is my work important? Should I even be working for this company? What changes need to happen in my relationships? Do I need to dump this guy or dump this girl and finish this thing off? Or what am I looking for in a spouse for those of you who are single? But asking those questions and returning to mission could make all the difference in our lives. And I love what Jesus says in Mark chapter 8, verse 36. He says, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet to forfeit his soul? That for so many of us, we're working and we're gaining the whole world but internally we're dying and we're forfeiting our soul. And one day a week, the Sabbath rest is an opportunity to remind ourselves of what is most important in this life and ultimately what has eternal value. And if I live this way and if I redirect over and over again, I believe that in the long haul, in the, the, the long range of my life, that I will end up at the destination that God wants me to end up at. And then third, the last thing I want to say to you, this is what Sabbath rest is all about. It's an opportunity or a renewal of my identity. It's a renewal of my identity. Sabbath rest is a chance for me to be reminded of who I am. And if you were with us last week, you'll remember that we talked about most of the stress problems in our lives at the core. If you go down to the bottom of the problem is an identity crisis. It's an issue of me looking for value and worth in my job, in what I can produce, that if I can climb the corporate ladder, or if I can make a little bit more money, or if I can drive a nicer car or live in a bigger house, that if I will do these things, if I will achieve these things, then I'll feel good about myself. But then I get those things. I get that bigger house. I get that nicer car. And that hole is still there inside of us. It's still there inside of you and inside of me. That at the core of who we are is brokenness, and when we're striving to find identity and value and worth in what we can produce, we will never be satisfied. But God is saying that there is one day that I want to give to you to remind you to renew who you are, to let your identity be nailed down each week. And I love what Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 15 says. 
God is speaking to the Israelites and he makes this statement. He says, remember that you were a slave in Egypt. You formerly were a slave. The Israelites' whole identity was tied up in this concept of slavery. And so as a result of them having their identity tied up in the slavery, they thought about work through that lens, that they constantly had a taskmaster waiting over their back, whipping them when they would not work hard enough. And it was seven days a week, 52 weeks a year, pushing it all the way to the limit because of their identity of slavery. But have you ever noticed that we have our own taskmasters? That somehow those taskmasters have a way of reminding us, get back to work, and you're like, you know, Saturday after pushing it all week long, and you're sitting down to watch a game of college basketball, and there's that tinge of guilt that you feel, like, I need to be working, I need to be producing, or maybe you're hanging out with your kids, or you're on a date with somebody that you're in a relationship with, or you're spending time with a family member, and there's that thought, I have some things that I need to get accomplished, and heaven forbid that thought leads to you like fast-forwarding the conversation and totally ignoring that what the other person is saying. That's never happened to me ever in my life, but I know some of you who are worse sinners than I am. That happens to you. <laughs> and then you, you are totally missing out on this incredible opportunity to engage because there's this taskmaster standing over you saying, produce, get it done. Your value is tied up in what you can accomplish. I remember sitting in a counselor's office shortly after Stacy and I had gotten married. This is like a recipe for disaster, okay? We moved away from my wife's family. She was in South Carolina. We went to grad school or seminary in Texas. And when we moved away, we were hardly making any money. Both of us were going to grad school. We could not pay our bills. And then on top of that, we decided that we were going to start a church in like the first six months of getting married. So she was 22. I was 22. I had like... I didn't even know how to balance a checkbook, let alone start a church. And so this led to some stress in our marriage and some miscommunication and some depression for my wife, Stacy. And we're sitting in the counselor's office and I'm realizing like so much, I'm, I'm like the culprit of my wife's pain. I'm causing this stress in her life. And now I have all this stress because I'm so driven. I'm so type A. I'm trying to produce. And I get all these pressures weighing on my shoulders. And I'm like 23 years old. And something about this doesn't seem right. And I was sitting in Dr. Rent's office, this like wise, mature man with a full white head of hair, pulls down a folder from his eyes and looks at me and says, Well, Andy, sounds like you're a pretty good taskmaster for yourself. That's your problem. And I think for many of us, that's our problem, that we are a slave to what we can produce and we have a taskmaster, whether it's ourselves or some image that we're trying to achieve, standing over our shoulders. Remember that you were a slave, but God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you, observe the Sabbath day. As a result of your new identity and God's love for you, you can rest. As a result of the fact that the God who created the universe has chosen you and called you and pursued you and has come to earth so that you can be forgiven for your past and you don't have to strive anymore religiously, you can rest in him and you can slow down long enough to realize that he loves you, that he cares for you, and that he calls you a son or daughter, that the Bible says if you are a follower of Jesus, that if you place your trust and your faith in him, that he makes you a new creation. And based upon what Jesus has done on a cross and his death 
and resurrection. That my sin and your sin, the jealousy and selfishness, the bitterness from the core of who we are, that God wipes that slate clean and we don't have to strive religiously. We now get to live the rest of our lives from his approval, from his stamp upon us saying, this is my child who I love that I am well pleased with. This can become a renewal every single week of our identity and who God says that we are. But here's the challenge. I think we all go through this. I have thoughts like this. And again, this is free counseling for me and reveals to you how messed up I am. But I think things like this, man, if I don't work today, like if, if, I, don't, if I don't do this, it's going to all fall apart. I mean, the world's going to come unraveled. It's maybe not that extreme, but I, I start thinking through all the consequences. And if I, if I don't respond to this email, and if I don't get this project done, and if I, if I don't do this, 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 and this, if I don't get it done, then it's all going to come undone, and my life is going to be unraveled, and I can't rest. And it's in those moments that it's as if God is saying, trust me, my track record is secure. That for eternity into the past, in the past, I have been holding the universe together. I've been making the planet spin. I know like the trajectory uh, of this world around the sun. I've got it all in control and I don't need you. And if you sleep a day, it's okay. If you rest a day, the world's not going to fall apart. If you don't respond to that email, he or she might be angry with you, but it's not all over. There is a God that is in control of the universe, and for one day a week, you can rest and trust that he can keep it all in orbit. And here's the last point I want you to hear. Short-term rest for you and I requires long-term trust, that at the core for us in our problem with resting is this ability to trust that God has got it all under control. I kind of go through this in a small way every night when I go to sleep. You guys probably know, at least some of you understand this, that some of my obsessive compulsive tendencies tend to rear themselves right around bedtime. And it happens like this. I'll lock the front door, and then I'll go get ready for bed, and then I'll lay down and I'll think to myself, did I lock the front door? I'm not really sure if I locked the front door. And then I'll ask Stacy. I'll say, Stacy, did I lock the front door? And she says, oh, yeah, you locked the front door. Well, I'm not really sure I locked the front door. And then I'll run out. And I'll lock the door, and I'll check the front door, and I'll check downstairs, and they're both locked. And then I'll go back, and I'll lay down, and maybe I'll go to the bathroom a couple more times, and then I'll think to myself, did I lock the door? I'm not really sure if I locked the door. And then I have this realization, I'm about to go to sleep, and I really hope nobody breaks in and steals all my kids' toys. Well, I kind of hope they steal my kids' toys, but not my toys. And somebody could actually come up and knife me and gut me out, steal my wife and my kids and run off and say that they're, she's their wife and they're her kids. I mean, like, my life could totally come undone. I mean, not that extreme, but you know what I'm talking about? How vulnerable you feel. Some of you sleep with baseball bats next to your bed for that very purpose. Because rest makes us very vulnerable, doesn't it? That if I have to slow down long enough and acknowledge that I can't go 24 hours a day, I can't go seven days a week, I am limited in my capacity. But the good news is there is one who is limitless in his power and his glory and his faithfulness. 
and for one day a week, I can just trust him. And I can say, God, you can get it all done. And it's like this concept of the tithe in the Old Testament that God said to the Israelites, the first tenth of all you bring in should come back to me. And if you bring that first tenth back to me, I'll bless the other nine tenths. I'll actually make the other nine tenths go further than they could have ever gone if you didn't trust me with them. God is saying the same thing with our time, that if we will place our trust in him and we will give one day a week just to let him be God, and then after that one day and we're refueled, then we can re-engage. But he's just saying one day a week, slow down and drink from the fullness of my love. And let me refuel you and restore you and refresh you. And I will give you what you need for the other six days. And I will care for you. Can we just pause for a moment with every eye closed and every head bowed just long enough to let in the stillness of this moment, to let our new identity, if we have placed our faith in Jesus, just restore us to remember maybe today is a day for you to go out from the service and write down what it is that God has done for you. Maybe others of you, it's an opportunity to ask some of the why questions of life. Why am I doing what I'm doing? What is most important? When I get 10, 15 years down the road from now, what is it that I want to be the truth about my life? What's the life I want to live for future generations, for my children and my grandchildren? What is it that God has given me that I need to give my attention to? What is unique about my life? Others of you, today is just an opportunity for you to be reminded that you are a child of God, that you're loved by Him, that He has chosen you. Others of you, maybe today, it's a chance to begin a relationship with God for the first time. By faith, as we place our trust in Him and in what Jesus has done when He was crucified and resurrected, that the Bible says, if I will believe in my heart that God raised Him from the dead, and I will confess with my lips that he's Lord. Relationship between God and I can begin. From this point forward, your life can be radically different. If you will just say, God, I need you. I trust in you. I want to begin a relationship with you. I ask that you'd forgive me. God will enter into your life and change everything about you. Maybe some of you, for the first time, you're praying that prayer from the bottom of your heart today. Others of you, just saying to him, God, I need you to refresh me. I need you to restore me and I place my trust in you. Everything I am, everything I have, I give it to you. And God, thank you that you can renew us, that you have given us this incredible gift for our lives, this gift of the Sabbath. May we not fail or not, uh, not, not fail to receive the mercy and the love that you've expressed to us and this incredible gift that you want us to receive into our lives. God, thank you for this church and thank you for what you're doing in each of us. We pray that this message would be what we need to face our stress and our anxiety this week. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.